Thank you for listening to the Sharon Church Podcast. If you'd like to know more about the church, please visit us at SharonChurch.com. Now we hope you learn from and enjoy today's message. Go ahead and grab your Bibles, your devices, and turn to John chapter 20. We are almost there, church. We're almost there through the book of John. We have John 20 today, John 21 next Sunday, and then we're going to begin a six-week series through the book of Ruth. Looking forward to that as we um, begin that, ironically, beginning a study on a woman on Father's Day. So we're looking forward to that, uh, the book of Ruth beginning uh, on June 20th. Looking forward uh, to studying that with you together. John chapter 20, I'm going to put us in context just so we know where we are. You can stay in John 20. I'm going to use Mark uh, to help us give some context here just so we know what's happening. Um, This message is heavy on me. I just, I get this sense that the Lord is going to use this today. Um, So would you be open to that? Be open to the Lord um, working through his word to pierce our hearts today. Um, We've all walked through a season over the past year or so, and particularly in our church over the past week, of just pain and loss and confusion. The past year has just felt like one gut punch after another for many of us, and we've walked in that. Maybe you're your whole existence has felt that way. Just felt like you've been in church and you know things about God and you know them in your head, but in your heart, in your experience, those things don't seem to go together. As followers of Jesus, Joel said it, we are not immune from hard times. We are not um, immune from death and sickness and pain and anxiety and, and disappointment. We aren't. It's part of the fallen world in which we live. What's distinct for us is how we walk in those things. We find ourselves here in John chapter 20 with the disciples uh, walking through the pain of searing loss. They have journeyed with Jesus for three and a half years. They've um, been disappointments in their lives, probably prior to that, have been called to follow Jesus. They have found a home in Jesus. They're abiding in him. They are overjoyed that a rabbi, a teacher of his stature would ask them to to follow him. They have learned that he is the son of God, that he is the Messiah, that their ancestors had told them was coming and they get to live on the earth at the day in which the Messiah, God in flesh, shows up. So they're riding that high. They have seen miracle upon miracle. They've seen people fed, people healed. They've seen lives restored. And as the crescendo of the ministry of Jesus climbs, it hits this point where Jesus says, and by the way, this week my life will be demanded of me. And I will gladly lay it down. You've been following me, but this is all coming to an end. And things are going to change. I'm going to leave behind for you a helper. And he's better uh, for you than I am in the flesh. And it's going to be better. But we're humans, so we understand how pithy that sounds, don't we? When we get um, words of condolences or uh, words of encouragement in seasons of great grief, it's kind, but it doesn't really do anything for us. That's what the disciples have been walking in. They have witnessed the gruesome crucifixion of Jesus. They've seen the Son of God with his flesh ripped off of his back. 
They've seen a crown of thorns placed on his head. They've seen nails, metal stakes driven into his hands and his feet. They've seen him spit at. They've seen him punched in the face. They've seen the son of God, God in flesh, unable to carry a wooden cross. All the pictures they held of this Messiah have all come crashing down and they witnessed all of it. They saw all of it. What they thought their life would be is no longer what their life is. Can anybody relate to that? If you can't, you probably will. You have a vision, a picture for your life and now just things have shifted and changed dramatically. Jesus has been crucified Um, We pick up here, um, we're gonna start in Mark 15 just to give us some context and then we'll get to John chapter 20. I want you to pay attention to some characters and pay attention to how they are reacting to this news. Mark chapter 15, um, Mark uh, writes his own gospel, it's a synoptic gospel, so it aligns with Matthew and Luke. Very uh, stripped down, just kind of the bare essentials in Mark so Mark 15, 40, what we learned is there were also men looking on at the crucifixion from a distance. Now, uh, no matter what all the cheesy Jesus movies have told you, there were more than 12 men who followed Jesus. It wasn't just these, these 12 um, idiots following Jesus. There were um, a bunch of women, a bunch of other people, men, women, and children. And there were women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene, we learn in the Gospels, was once possessed by seven demons. And I know in America that's not a real thing. It's a thing. Possessed by seven demons, Jesus sets her free from this possession, and she begins to follow Jesus. Mary Magdalene, mother of the Mary of James the Younger and Joseph and of Salome, who um, scholars believe is actually John's mother. They saw the crucifixion of Jesus. Mark tells us in Chapter 15, verse 47, that Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where Jesus was laid. Mary Magdalene saw the crucifixion, and then she sees his body taken off of the cross. She sees it taken to a borrowed tomb owned by Joseph of Arimathea, and they see, she sees him placed in the tomb. They see this, she sees the stone rolled in front of this cavern cave of a tomb. Mary Magdalene's paying attention to all of this. That would have been Friday, sundown or so. Jewish faith instructs them that on the Sabbath, so sundown Friday night, all the way through until sunrise on Sunday morning, would have been called the Sabbath, the day of rest set apart for the people of God, all the way back to Genesis in creation. Now, Jews have gotten strict about this, but um, the followers of Jesus, who are predominantly Jewish, are observing this holy tradition of Sabbath. Mark 16, verse 1, says that when Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices that they might go and anoint him. Remember, Mary Magdalene saw the crucifixion, saw him die, saw him breathe out his last breath, saw his body carried to the tomb, and then she spends a day of Sabbath in just complete shock and mourning. I'm sure like many of us deciding, what does she do next? What do I do next? She's given her life to following this man, believed with all that she had that he was the Messiah. So the questions have to arise. Do I leave? Do I stay? Is he who he says he is? This isn't what I thought it would be like. And so she has a day of complete and utter darkness and silence to wrestle this. 
But we learn that she went to get spices to anoint the body of Jesus. This would have been uh, traditional for a Jewish burial, that they would anoint the body with spices as a last act of preservation on one hand, and on another hand, uh, an act of love and service for this person. So Mary had already arranged to have these spices. Then we learn in verse 2 of Mark 16, very early the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. Uh, Mary, in the midst of confusion and pain and loss, um, distrust, makes her way to the tomb of Jesus. She's going to serve him one last time. We learned throughout some extra biblical sources that actually Jesus' ministry um, was provided through the finances of some of these women. They had served him with everything they had. Mary decides that she's gonna go serve him as long as she can, she will serve him. Even though it's just his body, she's going to serve him. She's going to worship him wherever he is. She's going to worship. She has decided in the grief and confusion of Sabbath that she's still gonna do it. She could have walked away, but she decides First thing in the morning at sunrise, she runs. So let's go to John chapter 20 with that in context. Go to John chapter 20, verse one. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. She saw the crucifixion, saw his body taken to the cave, and she decides she's going early while it was still dark. So it's still uh, kind of dusky and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb as if things couldn't get any more confusing for her. The confusion of Friday into the confusion of Saturday leads you to the confusion of Sunday morning where now the tomb is wide open. Verse two, so she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. This is John, the author. She runs to Peter and John and says to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Do you, do you sense the confusion and urgency? I, I don't know where he is. First thing in the morning, the question I think for many of us would have to be, where are the 12 disciples? Right? Where are they? Why is she the only one coming to perform this? Why, why is she the only one coming to worship? Well, we know because we are like the disciples. They're, they're in their room. They, they don't know what to do. And so she runs back and tells Peter and John, the body is gone. I have no idea where it is. So Peter, verse three, went out with the other disciple, and that's John, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first, which feels like an insignificant detail, unless you're the one writing this story. <laughs> verse five, stooping to look in, he, this is Peter, I'm sorry, John saw the linen cloth lying there, but did not go in. And then Simon Peter came, huffing and puffing, following him. And he went into the tomb. Because isn't that what Peter does? Peter doesn't think at all. He just goes. So Peter steps into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. It's a whole other sermon. Uh, verse eight. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, just in case you forgot, also went in, and John saw and believed. Verse nine, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from 
the dead. Now pay attention to verse 10. John's going to let us in on a key detail here because he's going to highlight somebody else. Look at verse 10. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Simon and Peter run to the tomb, see the body is gone. Peter goes in, can't believe what's happening. And then Peter and John just go back home. Can you blame them? What else are they going to do? They saw him crucified. They saw this gruesome murder of Jesus on the cross. What are they going to do with a dead body? They, they gave their lives to him. They, they believed that he was who he says that he was. But now what? What do you do now? There's not even a body now. So they go back home realizing for them in the midst of confusion and pain, there's really nothing left for us to do. Let's just go back home. I don't know if you can relate to this, but this is kind of how I handle stressful situations. I just sleep. Anybody else sleep? I don't sleep a lot. Like I don't require much sleep, but when there's heavy stress on me, I just want to sleep till it goes away. When I'm walking in grief of my, even of my own doing, I just, I just want to sleep I don't want to face reality. I just want to go back in my bed. And I just want to sleep. I don't want to have to deal with it. I want to unplug. I'll watch some sports. I'll watch some Netflix. I don't want to face reality. I believe Peter and John are like that. They just, what are we going to do? So they go back home. Now pay attention to the beginning of verse 11. But Mary. Do you see what John's doing? He's giving us a picture of these famous disciples, Peter and John, the ones who were in the inner circle, the ones who, had, who should have been there first. They go back home, but Mary. John's gonna highlight this woman, Mary Magdalene. Notice Mark and even Luke tells us about the other woman who went to the tomb. John's only telling us about Mary Magdalene because he has a point here, but Mary. She's not like the disciples. She's not like Peter and John. She also suffered searing loss. She also is walking in confusion and pain. And yet she begins, when she can, with worship. I'm going to go worship him. I don't know what it looks like. I don't, all I know is the next right thing for me to do is to go worship and serve him again. That's all I know to do. I've given my life to him for three and a half years. This is all I know how to do. I'm going to keep on doing that until I'm told not to. I'm going to keep on. So Mary runs to worship Jesus just one last time. She's going to worship him by serving him in his body. Peter and John don't. They have to be woken up by Mary. They come and see the tomb and they leave. But John tells us, but Mary stood. New Testament is written primarily in Greek and we lose some stuff in translation. The tense of this word for stood it's essentially the idea that she stood and just kept standing there. It's almost, almost annoying to John that she just stood there. She didn't move. She just stood. She stood staring at the empty tomb. Peter and John go back home. Mary just stands there. You can imagine the conversations of Peter and John saying, let's go. There's nothing we can do. And Mary says, no, no, I'm not leaving. I'm staying right here. I gave my life to him. I'm staying right here. I don't, I don't know what's going on, but I'm not leaving this spot. This is the last place I saw him. I'm not leaving. And Peter, Mary, what are you going to do? Like, what are you going to do with a dead? I don't know. 
I don't know, Mary says, but I'm, I'm staying right here. I'm not moving. I'm not wavering. I'm not wandering. I'm staying here. And you can imagine Peter and John saying, fine, you do you, Mary. We're going home. And John tells us Mary just stood. She just stood. She just wasn't wavering, wasn't moving. She came to anoint the body, and she's not going to leave until she finishes what she came to do. This is the only thing she knows. It's all she's known for three years. This is all she's known. I'm not giving up now. I'm staying right here. I got to find that body. And so she stands, but then John tells us she is weeping. Some translations tell us she's weeping bitterly. She's just heaving and sobbing and can't control her breathing. I mean, nasty, just snot pouring out of her nose. She can't keep it in. Tears are running down her cheeks. Her back's beginning to hurt from the heaving. She just can't imagine this too. Like the crucifixion wasn't enough. That now this had to happen. Anybody else can feel that way sometimes? Like it's just one thing after another. And Mary, I'm not going home. I'm staying right here. I'm not moving. Mary stood there, John tells us, and just kept standing there weeping. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. Verse 12, she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. Um, Again, John's using only 600 or so Greek words, so he's being particular with what he's telling us. This is important for some reason. In the Old Testament, where God um, instructs the people of Israel to construct for him a tabernacle, he talks to them about the Ark of the Covenant in which um, they would carry from place to place and ultimately at the temple would leave it there. On top of the Ark of the Covenant, on the lid, would be what's called the mercy seat. The mercy seat is where blood would be sprinkled by a high priest to represent the covering of sins of the people of God. On this mercy seat would have been two angels, one at the head and one at the feet facing each other. The Ark of the Covenant, particularly the mercy seat, was representative of the presence of God. What John's trying to tell us is that Mary wasn't standing just anywhere. Mary was standing in the presence of God. She came to worship. Things weren't the way she thought they would be. In the midst of confusion and pain, she still came to worship. She stands outside the tomb weeping, sobbing, not going anywhere, planted her feet firmly here, and then she looks in and she sees, and John tells us, you know where she was standing? In the presence of God. You know what the disciples missed by going home? The presence of God. Now, they'll get their turn later, but there's this moment, the very first Easter morning, when Mary is staring in the tomb Verse 13, these two uh, angels speak to her and say, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they've taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. She's not weeping because of the crucifixion. She's not weeping because ministry is over, not weeping because she misses Jesus. She's weeping because she came to worship and she can't. I don't know where he is. And having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, 
Remember that from John chapter two, when he speaks to his mother, it's dear woman. Jesus calls her this first, dear woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. I came to, I'm gonna do this. I'll carry the, I don't care. I'm gonna carry the dead body. Linen clothes are in the tomb. So the dead crucified body of Jesus isn't even wrapped in anything. And Mary says, I'll take that bloody carcass. I'm taking it. I don't care. I came here. I'm gonna do this. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. He calls her woman. She doesn't recognize him. Verse 16, he calls her Mary, and she turned and said to him in Aramaic, which has been the language that they would have spoken, Rabbani, which means teacher. The disciples are at home, and they missed it. In the midst of confusion and pain, they ran to their own, device, their own vices, their own logic, their own trying to figure it out, their own, I can't figure it out, I might as well just go on with my life. And Mary says, no, 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 I'm coming to worship. I'm standing here in the presence of God. And because of that, she hears the voice of the resurrected Jesus for the first time in history. And the first word he says is, Mary. He knows her name. Throughout the Old Testament, we learn, particularly in Isaiah, that God also knows our name, that he calls us by name. Psalm 139, he knit us together in our mother's womb. He planned the days for us. We learn that he knows the number of hairs that are on our head. We learn that he cares for us from Matthew chapter five. Do you think that he would also then know our name? Absolutely, he knows our name. But the disciples didn't get to hear Jesus say, Peter, John, because in the midst of confusion and searing loss and pain, they ran home. And Mary said, no, I'm not leaving this place. I'm going to the last place I saw him. And there she meets the resurrected Jesus. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. I still have work to be done. But go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. Because Mary went with worship and because she just stood, she heard her name and she got a new mission. Go tell them. Here's your purpose. Go, go. There's some beauty here of what John is telling us. Remember back in Genesis chapter three, the fall of man began with a woman in a garden. Here in John chapter 20, the redemption of man begins in the garden with a woman. It's beautiful what's happening. John chapter four, Jesus speaks to the woman at the well. You remember? And he tells her before anyone else, he tells her that he is the Messiah. And she goes and tells. The woman at the well is not a proper 31 woman, by the way. She's not. She's, she's not someone that you'd be happy your son brought home. And she's the one that Jesus says, hey, by the way, I'm him. I'm him. Mary Magdalene, also not a proverb 31 woman, possessed by seven demons just three years earlier. Your 21-year-old son comes home from college and says, hey, I brought, I met someone. Oh, cool, what's her name? Her name's Mary. 
can she come for dinner? Sure, we'd love to meet her. Mary, tell us about yourself. Well, um, I grew up in a Jewish household. And then at some point, just had seven demons living inside of me. Oh, was that like 20 years ago? No, it was three. Mm. Why don't you guys just be friends for a while then? (laughs) And Jesus chooses her to hear the first words out of the resurrected Savior's mouth. And then he sends her on mission. Go tell the others. Verse 18, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, that he had said these things to her. They don't believe her, um, so they go try to figure it out for themselves. The rest of the story happens there in John chapter 20. I know for a lot of us, because I know you, like I, what I love about pastoring a church is that I don't just show up and speak, but I get to walk with people People, I get to walk with you, you get to walk with me, and I know, I know what some of you are walking in today. And I know over the past week, on Thursday, we buried a 47, 46-year-old woman who leaves behind a 16-year-old uh, son and a 13-year-old daughter. And I know there are people in our church who have pleaded with the Lord for two years, two and a half years, three years, heal her, take it away. And he didn't. Not on this side of glory. There's some of us who have walked through loss in recent months, some of us who walked through job loss and financial strain. And it's not like you haven't been doing the right things and haven't been praying and haven't been even fasting and worshiping. And so you have to, like Mary, be like, what is going on? Like, why now? Why can't I just get a break? Right? Your marriage is falling apart. Your kids are wilding out because they've been cooped up in your house and and you need school for them more than ever. You've needed school for them. And now it's summer and then all of this is happening. You just, why now? Why? It just feels like a gut punch after a gut punch. And if you're honest, you've doubted the goodness of God. So have I. If you were good, God, then why wouldn't you? I'm not asking I'm not asking for evil things. I'm asking for good things to bring you glory. Why have you not? I want you to see something about Mary. In the midst of searing loss and confusion and pain and relational strife, she decides something that first Easter morning, I'm going to where Jesus is. I don't know. I don't know if it makes sense. I'm just going to go. I'm just going to go. So I want to help us this morning with a few things. First is this. Keep worshiping. In the midst of pain and confusion uh, and breakups and divorce and betrayal and financial collapse, please keep worshiping. not a story I've read. It's a story I've lived. We, we got to keep worshiping. Let's worship. Mary has decided in her heart, I'm going to serve him. I know it doesn't make sense. I know, but I'm going. So she rises early in the morning. The first light she's gone to go worship. Times of pain and confusion are not the time to stop worshiping. It's the worst time to stop. 
It's what the enemy wants for you. He wants to take your eyes off of the goodness of God and, and, and trust in the plan of a sovereign creator and say, yeah, yeah, but look what he's done to you. Here's what I'm saying. Let's be like Mary. Let's keep worshiping. Now, that happens in a couple of different ways. I think it happens individually. We have to worship individually. It means studying the word of God. It means singing when we can, praying when we can, um, whatever it is. I think it also means to worship together corporately. Uh, my generation did a real disservice to the church for a number of years by trying to tell everyone, you don't have to gather together to worship. You can worship on the golf course. You can worship at the beach. Um, you can worship at a Braves game. You can worship at the lake, maybe. And yet scripture is clear. We should not forsake the gathering together. So is, is the Lord present at the lake? I hope so. Is he uh, present at the beach? Yeah. Is he present on the golf course? I've heard his name a lot there, so maybe. <laughs> but there's nothing like this, amen? There's nothing like this. Because when we gather, we are the temple of God and his presence dwells uniquely among his people. And you know what you need in the midst of confusion and searing loss? You need the presence of God and the presence of fellow believers. That's what you need. Don't give up. Keep showing up. Keep worshiping. Keep singing. Keep praying. Keep studying. Don't give up. We got to keep worshiping. We need it more than ever. And when it comes to worship, I would just say worship with what you've got. What do you have? Worship with that. There's a whole book in the Old Testament called Lamentations, which is just worship through grief. You know how Mary worships at the tomb? Uncontrollable sobbing. Is that what you've got? Then do that in the presence of God. Weep, wail, laugh, rejoice, clap, stand, sit, bow on your knees, worship with what you've got. Ascribe to him the worth he has. Graham Kendrick, a songwriter from the 90s who wrote Shine, Jesus, Shine, um, he says this, worship has been misunderstood as something that arises from a feeling which comes upon you. But it is vital that we understand that worship is rooted in a conscious act of the will to serve and obey the Lord Jesus Christ. You feel like worshiping? Worship. You don't feel like worshiping? Worship anyway. It's an act of the will, not a feeling. Matt Redman, another songwriter, says that we can always find a reason to praise. Situations change for better and for worse, but God's worth never changes. He's always worthy of our praise, even at the tomb. And at your tomb, he's worthy of our praise. Bring the spices, church, bring them. Secondly, I would say keep standing. We are prone to wander from truth, particularly when the truth in our heads doesn't line up with the truth that we experience. Stand firm, not on your political allegiances. Stand firm on the word of God. Keep standing. We just stand. We are awful at this. 
Generationally, we are awful at this. We let the whims of culture toss us to and fro far too much. Please hear me, college students, young adults and students. Don't do it. Stand. Stand on truth. Stand on the promises of God. I know you can't figure it out. That's not the point. The point isn't to figure it out. The point is to trust God. Keep standing. Keep standing. We're prone to wander, particularly in seasons of pain and confusion. You see, the disciples went home and Mary just kept standing. So just stand. Stand and rejoice. Stand and weep. Stand and ask questions. Just stand. Confused about the goodness of God? I'm just saying, just stand here. In the presence of God, stand. Because when you do, you're gonna hear him call your name. Finally, we have to keep listening. Mary, I believe Mary heard her name because she came to worship, she stood, and she listened. We've created this uh, Christian culture where following Jesus is just something you do out of obligation. And it's ruined generations. It's not an obligation. It's a joy to worship the Lord. It is a gift and a balm to our wounds to worship Jesus. It's not out of compulsion or guilt. It is for joy that he endured the cross. The reason we don't hear from God is because we no longer view following him as relationship. We just um, do what we're supposed to do, particularly in the South, because if you want to be respected in a lot of circles, you better have a church attendance. You better have a church you go to. Talked to a woman yesterday. She said, oh, you look familiar. How do I know you? I was like, well, this is a loaded question, uh, but uh, I'm I'm a pastor at Sharon Church. Like, no, she's like, I don't go there. I go to... Ah, what's the name of my church? (laughs) Sure you do. But it's that cultural, like, oh, I better say I go to a church to make you think that I'm a good person. No, 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 no. We come to church to worship Jesus. Keep listening to him. If you go to worship and you stand in his presence, you will hear your name too. But when we stop worshiping, when we run back home, when we waver, we don't hear him call our name. And there are many of you here this morning, you've given up on Jesus because of that. You were told, you were told that he knows you intimately. But it seems like he doesn't. Here's my challenge to you Have you worshiped? Have you stood? And have you listened? Because he's faithful. The question is not whether or not he's called your name. The question is whether or not you're listening. And whether you're you're there to hear it. C.S. Lewis says that it's in the process of being worshipped that God communicates his presence to men. Are you worshipping today, church, or are you just showing up? Are you ascribing him worth? So we say, that's great, right? Like, good for Mary. She seemed like a good person who got her life turned around and she was really doing the right thing. 
Like she ran to the tomb, she, she worshiped, she got up early. Um, I, I, if you're asking me, I'd probably be in bed. I would have gone home too, I wouldn't have listened. I can't handle that, God can't be who he says he is. So there's no way he calls my name. Or maybe he does, but he puts a few adjectives before it. Or he uses my middle name too, which is never a good thing to hear. What do I do with that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Mark chapter 16, uh, Mark's account of this. One of the men standing there tells Mary, says, go and tell Jesus' disciples and Peter that Jesus is going before you into Galilee and there you will see him just as he told you. So the question begs to be asked, why mention Peter by name? Isn't he one of the disciples? Sure. But no one needed this assurance more than Peter. The last visual Peter has of Jesus is to look on Jesus' face when Peter denies him for the third time. But that's just etched in his memory. I don't think he's even slept since that happened. He promised he'd be good, promised he'd fight for Jesus, and yet he has failed. And not just for the first time. He's failed him again. So there's this sweet moment where the angel tells Mary, hey, don't forget to tell Peter. He needs to hear this. Meet me in Galilee. He needs to hear this. I'm still here for him. He needs to hear this. I know, I know he went home. I know he can't handle it. Just tell him. If you're here today and you feel like I can never be like Mary Magdalene, well, there's good news for you. You can be like Peter. And there's a feeling and a sense for me that maybe today it's my job to tell you this. Jesus says he'll meet you there. Tell the disciples and fill in your name. He's gonna be right where he said he was. You can trust him. I don't know what you've come in here with today and where you find yourself, but I know this about many of us today. We're not okay. Uh, we've put on a good face and we've tried to be good people and, and say all the Christian cliches and it's just it's not working today. Um, would you just keep worshiping? even when you don't feel it. Keep worshiping. Keep standing firm in the presence of God. And keep listening, because there's coming a moment where he'll call your name, and he'll give you a mission and a purpose. And for some of us in that moment, everything that's happened in the past will start to make sense. And there's some of us who've already gone home, and I need to tell you, okay, but Jesus is gonna meet you right where he said he would. If you bow your heads, close your eyes, and we'll wrap up. Got a few minutes. Just by show of hands, how many of you would say, yeah, it's been a confusing, painful season for me. You can raise your hand and just be bold and honest about it. It's been painful. It's been confusing. I don't understand. Good gracious, yeah. It's a lot of us. We're not alone we're not alone in this generation. We're not alone uh, from the people in scripture either. Facing searing loss and the, the pain of confusion. Those of us who know Jesus, the gift is what we've read today. We just get to show up and worship. I wanna challenge you in that way. Don't give up on the worship. Start there. 
and worship with what you've got. I know the temptation is to flee. I don't want to be around those people. They know too much. Listen, people know a lot about me. And they just keep pointing me to Jesus. You're among good company here. Keep worshiping. Keep showing up. Let's keep standing. Let's keep listening. If you're here this morning and you don't know this Jesus, the only Jesus you know is what you've heard in the past from um, people who've told you how awful of a person you are and how um, uh, your life is meaningless and how you'll never amount to anything. I just, you need to know something, that Jesus calls you by name. And there's a conviction the Spirit rises up in you that you would hear his name today. That you might be saved from your sins that your sins have been covered, your past has been covered, your present is covered, your future is covered. You are set free and washed clean by the finished work of Jesus on the cross and that very empty tomb gives you hope that tomorrow doesn't have to be like today. Is there anyone here this morning who says, no, I need that. I need to meet Jesus. I need to be saved today. I, would, I need to know my sins are forgiven. Anybody raise your hand this morning. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the power of it that has not lost an ounce over 2,000 years. But it's true. And because it's true and because it's alive, it matters to us today. Father, you saw the hands. You know our hearts. There's many of us today walking in confusion and pain, and we just need your presence. Um, drive us to worship. Spur in us an affection for you that we can't explain. Give us a commitment to be here in your presence, wherever that is, but be present with you. And for those of us who feel like we've gone too far, we've failed too much, remind us that you said, tell Peter to. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. <laughs>